September 26th and 27th is the third annual Manitoba Podcast Festival. This year's event takes place exclusively online, and you can participate for free. Visit the Manitoba Podcast Festival on social media for more information as we get closer to the date. Thank you for listening, but please be advised that I am not a specialist of any kind. Always be skeptical and look into things on your own, preferably using skeptical inquiry methods to determine for yourself what stands up to scrutiny. Also, I swear, not all the time, but when I get excited or passionate, the cusses do come out. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for listening to Living Through Extinction. I'm Ruby Palmer, and this is episode 20. situation here in Hawaii earlier this evening. The uh, civil defense calling for an evacuation of all low-lying areas because of a tsunami threat. The sky turns black as giant tornadoes touch down. From Nebraska to Texas, apocalyptic scenes as twisters tear through the southern I would like to share something with you all from Science-Based Medicine. It is one of my favorite skeptical sites, and you should all check it out. .org, by the way. Sciencebasedmedicine.org. I'm going to quote directly because they say it better than I ever could. So, quote, A study, study is in quotation marks, a study published in hcqtrial.com by an anonymous source claiming to be a group of PhD scientists went viral. It claimed that countries that used hydroxychloroquine to treat COVID-19 had a 79% lower fatality rate than those who didn't. It was horrible science and quickly debunked by several epidemiologists. That didn't stop it from going viral. Disinformation like this during a pandemic is one of the most dangerous challenges we face. Unquote. Here, fucking here. I couldn't agree with this more. Someone out there is spreading bullshit for whatever their reason may be. Maybe it's someone with a stake in hydroxychloroquine. Maybe it's a Trump supporter trying to make their cult leader look like less of an idiot after some of the harmful bullshit he spouted. Maybe it's just some sadist who wants to see what will happen. Whatever the reason, fuck whoever posted this bullshit study in quotation marks. Lives lost could very well end up on your hands. And if you come across a study online, follow it to its source. Anonymous source? Bullshit. A group of PhD scientists? Super bullshit. What kind of scientists? What kind of PhDs? Is it published? And if so, what kind of paper was it published in? Let's not forget that Bigfoot believers once created a journal just so that they could publish their own supposed fur findings and be able to say that their study was published in a journal. Pretty much everything online or on TV is presented in a way that forces a certain perspective. It's up to us to realize that and to consider all other potential perspectives, keeping skeptical inquiry in mind. When it comes to media, almost nothing is what it seems. I don't care if it's the news, a commercial, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, whatever. Be skeptical, damn it. Extreme weather due to climate change is going to hit us with some major food price increases. There are grain stores sitting empty right now, which normally would be full. In the UK, wheat yields are down 40%, and this may be the year of the worst UK wheat harvest in 40 years. Flour and bread and all sorts of other items will become more expensive as a result. Some millers are already implementing 10% increases to their product, and this is going to continue and spread. The very hot and dry spring made it difficult for crops in the UK to absorb necessary nutrients from the soil. Then. 
Heavy rains in the fall cause a delay in harvesting, and much of the waterlogged wheat ends up only usable as animal feed. Unfortunately, the causes of the problems this year are expected to become more common as climate change continues. UK climate projections show hotter, drier summers and warmer, wetter winters coming in the future. So many wonderful things are made with flour. The price of all of these products will just keep going up. Unless we master the mass production of cricket flour, which I may cover on its own in another episode. Cake, bread, biscuits, cookies. It's amazing to learn how many things can be affected by climate change. The UK has been having good fortune with birds lately. Last week I spoke a bit about red kites and the success conservationists have had in repopulating parts of the UK. Well, I recently came across another large bird story. Apparently white storks have returned to the UK after 600 years. As I said, these are larger birds, 80 to 115 centimeters tall, and their wings span 195 to 215 centimeters. While mainly white, they have black on their wings and shoulders, and their shanks and long beak are red. Male and female storks were brought to Britain as a part of an ambitious reintroduction project. It's a difficult endeavor due to the fact that these birds do not tend to breed until they are three or four years old. There has been success, however. As a result of the storks being brought to Britain, we have the first chicks of the species since the 15th century to be hatched in the wild. Now, after 604 years, they are nesting in Britain. There are many in West Sussex at the Nep Wildland Project, including several breeding pairs. The goal is apparently to reach 50 breeding pairs in southern Britain by 2030, and they appear to be on their way. I discovered a really weird toad, and apparently it's one of the latest animals to be deemed at risk of extinction, so that made me sad. I will try to say this once. I did look up the pronunciation, but was unable to find it. Google failed me. So, the Ingerophrenus golem is also known as the golem toad, and that is much easier on my mouth, so that is how I will refer to it going forward. I picture toads and frogs as being kind of roundish. I do believe that's the norm. This guy has a long, thinnish body and weirdly long, thin limbs that end in partially webbed toes and long, extendable fingers with blunt tips. The head and eyes appear rather large, but I'm not sure if that's just an illusion due to the slenderness of the body and limbs, or if they're actually larger than normal. In fact, it was the long limbs and extendable fingers that reminded scientists of Gollum from Lord of the Rings, which is how it got its name. It is found only in upland streams on just one mountainside in Malaysia, so it's not really surprising it's endangered. Tourism development has been polluting the streams where it lives, and the expansion of tourist resorts threatens its already small habitat. So it is now, I quote, classified as vulnerable on the latest International Union of Conservation of Nature, known as the IUCN Red List, unquote. So, yeah, I guess I don't have much of a chance of ever seeing a golem toad in person, but I love knowing these little weirdos exist. One of my favorite reads in archaeology lately was about hell ants. Their name alone grabs a person's attention. Well, a person like me, anyway. Ants are ridiculously diverse, with over 12,500 different species identified and a suspected 10,000 more yet to be discovered. And none of them have the features like hell ants did. Thought to precede the most common ancestor of all living ants, 
all species of hellants had a unique jaw and a horn-like appendage jutting straight out from their foreheads. Rather than mandibles that hinged from side to side, the hellants' jaws were made up of mandibles that curved upwards and that appeared to move up and down. This differs from all ants today and nearly all insects as well. It is very uncommon. The horns do not appear on any ants today that we know of. While the appearance of the horns do appear to vary from species to species, all hell ants seem to have one in one form or another. Up until recently, it was hypothesized that the hell ants would catch prey by scooping it up in its curved mandibles and moving them upwards, thus pinning the catch against the horns sticking straight out up there. I say until recently because in 2017, a pretty cool amber fossil was discovered. So this is no longer a hypothesis. This 99 million year old drop of amber contains an actual hellant holding an ancient relative of today's cockroaches in between its horn and its jaws. Don't you just love it when a hypothesis is 100% proven by a discovery? I love that shit. This is the very first time we've been able to see a hellant holding prey. Further hypothesizing states that the ant is likely holding its prey in place so it can administer an immobilizing sting. Now if we could only come across a hellant caught in amber at the moment as that sting is happening, oh my gosh, that would be amazing. It's still a mystery why these earliest known ants and their unique attributes died out 65 million years ago and relatives of modern ants continued to flourish. Go to sciencealert.com where you can see a picture for yourself of the ant with the cockroach relative clutched between its jaws and head appendage. Very cool. This episode I would like to call attention to something called ocean acidification and its effects on coral reefs and other things, though my focus will be on coral reefs. Coral reefs are some of the most diverse ecosystems in the world. They are a habitat for more than 4,000 species of fish, 700 species of coral and thousands of other plants and animals. Most in existence today are between 5 and 10,000 years old. They are found in warm, shallow tropical seas or the cold, dark depths of the ocean. Though they cover less than 1% of the ocean floor, they are among the most productive and diverse ecosystems on Earth. 25% of the ocean's fish depend on healthy coral reefs. They are used for shelter by some, food by others, and even necessary for some to reproduce and or rear their young. This is why coral reefs have been referred to as the rainforests of the sea. Coral are colonial marine invertebrates. They live on the calcium carbonate exoskeletons of their ancestors, and when they die, their own tiny exoskeleton is added to the structure. In this way, coral reefs grow one teeny tiny exoskeleton at a time. It takes centuries to form the massive features we see today. There are hundreds of different species of coral, and as they die and form their structures, each species creates different shapes and colors, giving us that magnificent view that divers travel from around the world to experience. The largest coral reef system we are aware of is the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. It is over 2,400 kilometers long. For those in the U.S., that's 1,500 miles. The Northwest Hawaiian Island Coral Reef is another beautiful coral site. This shallow water reef system is home to more than 7,000 species of fish, plants, birds, sea turtles, and more. We have only been able to explore about 20% of the ocean floor so far, so new reefs are still being discovered that have existed for centuries without human contact. Protecting these reefs is not completely philanthropic, as we, without a doubt, benefit from their healthy existence. Coral reefs create massive underwater walls which help to protect coastlines from storms and erosion. 
They protect and feed animals, which are crucial parts of our food chain. There is even thought to be potential for new medicines to be discovered. And the diverseness of shapes and colors attracts tourists, creating jobs for surrounding areas. There is fishing, diving, and snorkeling, bringing in hundreds of millions of dollars. In summary, half a billion people depend on the reefs for food, income, and protection. So now that I've possibly made a few people care about coral and coral reefs, what's the problem? If I'm talking about it on this segment, there's probably a problem. Our coral reefs are severely threatened by water pollution, which seems to be exasperating an even larger issue also caused by us, and that's ocean acidification. A quote about the seriousness of this issue from Roger Bradley at the Australian Natural University. Overfishing, acidification, and pollution are pushing coral reefs into oblivion. Each of those forces alone is fully capable of causing the global collapse of coral reefs. Together, they assure it. Unquote. Some natural threats to coral reefs are storms, disease, and predators, but people are, of course, the main issue. A really bad human issue, this horrible practice called cyanide fishing, can destroy a thousand-year-old reef in a matter of minutes. Something called blast fishing is also a problem. What the fuck is wrong with people? Now, of course, climate change is tied into all of this. Climate change is considered the primary cause of warming oceans and acidification. Since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution about 150 years ago, about a quarter to a third of all CO2 from fossil fuels has been absorbed by the oceans. When the carbon dioxide enters the water, it reacts with it to form carbonic acid. This has resulted in an average acidity increase of 30%. That is not a small number. We know this because we monitor the water on our planet very carefully. Carbon dioxide produced from burning fossil fuels can be identified and measured, and the acidification effect of CO2 is undisputed. What does this mean for the ocean? Well, ocean acidity reduces carbonate, which is required by thousands of marine species to form shells and skeletons. As acidity has increased, slower growth rates and weaker shells have been observed. If this acidity gets high enough, it could be even worse as it will actually begin to corrode shells. This would bring on a whole lot of extinctions. Already, acidity levels are thought to be the reason Pacific oysters have not successfully reproduced in the wild since 2004. The Great Barrier Reef has a 14% decline in calcification since 1990, and plankton in Antarctica are 30 to 35% less in body weight than ever before. Some of the worst news is that these tiny marine snails that make up 60% of the diet of Alaska's juvenile pink salmon are in extreme risk as acidity rises. The chain reaction there could be enormous. If we do not slow our current rates of fossil fuel use, the average ocean acidity could become corrosive to some species in a matter of decades. And average ocean acidity will more than double by the end of this century. And those precious coral reefs I began with, they may begin to erode faster than they can grow. Reef structures really could be lost forever. There are already corals experiencing coral bleaching in more polluted areas. The corals become deformed and the reefs develop a type of osteoporosis. While this is something that can be recovered from if conditions improve before they die, once they die, there is no coming back. A paper just published on August 27th of this year 
shows a significant reduction of density in coral skeletons at the Great Barrier Reef and two more reefs in the South China Sea. 13% in the Great Barrier Reef and 7% in the South China Seas since the 50s. They were able to use skeletal archives from 1871, 1901, and 1978, combined with weather data from these same time periods to establish annual growth and density. Unfortunately, these effects are likely to accelerate as acidification continues to progress over the next decades. I quote from NRDC.org. Scientists predict that by the time atmosphere CO2 reaches 560 parts per million, a level which could happen by mid-century, we are currently nearing 400. Coral reefs will cease to grow and even begin to dissolve, unquote. So what do we do? What can we do? Our best bet is to help the ocean to defend itself by protecting, maintaining, and restoring the health of marine ecosystems. It's never going to be an easy answer, folks. Also in an article at nrdc.org, it said, quote, Think of ocean acidification as a final warning that we are fundamentally changing the way the planet works. We have already compromised the planet's atmosphere by the burning of fossil fuels. Considering that oceans represent a bigger system, 500 times by weight, than our atmosphere, changes to ocean chemistry signal a massive disruption. End quote. Scientists do have ideas and are trying to figure them out. Some are trying to grow coral in nurseries so that they can be transplanted to damaged areas. They are attempting to breed stronger species of coral that will be less susceptible to the warming waters and grow at a faster rate. Some coral reef ecologists are experimenting with growing corals on steel frames placed over damaged parts of the reefs. Electrical currents can be sent through these frames and this process has been proven to speed coral growth. There are people who care and who are working hard to protect and rebuild. There is hope. But our best bet is still, as always, reducing carbon emissions. A quick little happy story today. I would like to share with you an adorable story of a fox and their shoes. I don't know if my friend Mel listens, but she would definitely appreciate this fox's appreciation for shoes. Except for the Crocs, maybe. When a young man in a village near Berlin posted about his new and expensive shoes being stolen on a neighborhood online site, he was hoping for help getting them back. Instead, he started getting responses from other people in the neighborhood saying it had happened to them too. Curious about the mystery, he spotted a fox shortly after with a shoe in its mouth and decided to follow it. He was led to a collection of over 100 pairs of shoes from nearby homes. It was apparently very colorful. Sandals, sneakers, rubber boots, one ballet flat, and apparently a very large amount of Crocs. After looking into it a bit, it turns out this isn't the first time a fox has been known to hoard shoes. Apparently they are attracted to strong odors and this makes shoes a favorite. I found this very cute and funny and those who got their shoes back claimed they were not very damaged so no harm was really done by the adorable shoe thief. That's all I have for you this week. One more reminder about the Manitoba Podcast Festival which is having all of its panels online this year. As a new podcaster, I'm very much looking forward to attending. Follow the Manitoba Podcast Festival on all of the social medias to stay up to date. Thank you for listening, and may your health and sanity be replenished daily in these mad times. Thank you to Jason Martin for composing the intro and outro of the show, and thank you to Paula Palmer and Kathy Rayner for their musical contributions on the violin and guitar. I hope you will join me in two weeks for episode 21 of Living Through Extinction. In about a hundred homes, the governor of Missouri declared a state of
emergency. Very serious situation here in Hawaii. Earlier this evening, the uh, civil defense calling for an evacuation of all low-lying areas because of a tsunami threat. Sky turns black as giant tornadoes touch down. From Nebraska to Texas, apocalyptic scenes as twisters tear through the southern plains.